friends on Facebook and if you're my friend on Facebook you probably realize that like 75% of my friends don't believe in Jesus on Facebook I've kept all these friends and they all say oh just live and let live and I'm like you don't really believe that because they say live and let live but they're all angry about all these things that people are doing and I'm like wait you're saying live and let live but you don't like this that and the other thing what if that's the way they want to live just let them live that way the world is a wacky place right now. <laughs> Senseless violence and mayhem in a lot of big cities make them unsafe places to live. Everybody seems to want to do their own thing, whatever that may be, and whomever it might hurt doesn't matter. We look at this like it's something new, but Pastor Daniel's teaching today will show you that this is the way man has expressed himself for thousands of years. You'll learn what God thinks of it, as well as learning a different way to live. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 9 as he continues his message, Repopulation. So every time you see a rainbow, it's not about leprechauns and pots of gold. Even though that would be kind of fun if it was, but it's not. Every time there's a rainbow, that is a reminder that God has promised that he is never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. And you can imagine for the descendants of Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, every time it rained, may have thought, oh man, we're in trouble. Five rains ago, everybody died. So the reality is, is the rainbow is there as a sign of the covenant. God is has made a covenant. He's not going to judge the earth with a flood. And that's kind of a cool thing, isn't it? So we can enjoy the rain without being afraid of it. We don't have to worry that God's going to do it. Now, it's interesting that when God will judge the earth again, he's going to judge the earth by fire. So the next time God judges the earth, and you can read about this all through the New Testament, places in the Old Testament, the book of Revelation specifically, before God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, he's going to judge the world by fire at the coming of Christ. So it's interesting, but he uses water one time to judge the earth. So God's made a covenant. He's not going to do it this way again. Now, as we move into verse 18, this is where we really get the stage set for pretty much the first half of your Old Testament. The stage is set with this. Look what happens. In verse 18, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. 
Then he said, Cursed be Cain, and a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now, look what's happened here. Right away in verse 18, we get this piece that Ham is the father of Canaan. Okay, we're going to see a little bit more about it. We get this distinction. We have three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Now, we find out in verse 20 that Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. Now, all of this a lot speaks like Adam, doesn't it? How Adam had a garden and God had a garden and Adam was taking care of the garden. But what happens? Noah plants a vineyard. Once he starts to harvest the grapes, he starts to drink of the fruit of the vine and he gets drunk and he becomes uncovered in his tent. Now, think about this. You have a garden, a vineyard. You have an issue with the fruit of it. For Adam and Eve, it was eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you have Noah drinking of the wine, and he ends up drunk and uncovered in his tent. Okay? In verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Remember when Adam and Eve ate, they realized that they were naked and they had shame? So Noah ends up having too much to drink. He ends up naked in his tent. And based on the Hebrew, most people would believe that both Noah and his wife were probably uncovered as well. And you get that from places in the book of Leviticus where it talks about don't uncover your father's nakedness, which speaks about having relations with your father's wife and things like this. So there's a good chance that both Noah and his wife were naked. And Ham comes in and he sees it and he makes a big deal about it. He doesn't attempt to cover. Think about this. Shem and Japheth decide, my father's in there naked. So it says that they take a garment and they walk backwards so as not to see their father. See, Ham is displaying the nakedness. He's making fun about it. Shem and Japheth are trying to cover the nakedness, which is exactly the heart of God, right? Because Adam and Eve made fig leaves, but God made them cloaks or his own garments. So Ham is being, it would be uncouth. He thinks this is fun. He's having fun on his father's behalf. But Shem and Japheth are concerned about their father. And they don't want to see his nakedness. They want to honor their father. And so they walk backwards so that they don't have to see his nakedness. In verse 24, it says, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. Wow. Because of this, now Noah pronounced a cursing on his son, Ham. Ham was the father of Canaan. Let him be the servant of servants, the servants of his brothers. Isn't God delivering the people into the promised land all about the fulfillment of this curse? So you have to realize that Ham was the father of Canaan, the Canaanites. But in verse 26, look what it says. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servants. By the time we get to the end of Genesis 10, the genealogy, you're going to find that Shem became the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So it's fascinating that Ham is now cursed to be a servant, to be subjugated, and Shem is exalted. And this is going to set the stage for half of your Bible, maybe all of your Bible, watching the children of Israel come and find this place of prominence. Now, it's interesting, in verse 27 it says, and may God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. It's interesting, for Shem, he gets the place of priority, the place of blessing. Ham gets the place of cursing, and Japheth's blessing is to dwell within the courts of Shem, to be under the covering of Shem. Now, in verse 28, it says, And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now, as we move into Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10 is completely a genealogy, the whole thing. First, you go through from verses 1 to 5, you go through the descendants of Japheth from verses 6 on down to verse 20. You have the descendants of Ham or the Canaanites, and then verse 21 and following, you have the descendants of Shem. Now, what I could do is I could go through this whole list and I could read you all the names. And that's always fun for a pastor. Let me explain to you why. Because we speak English, and if you were to read Hebrew, you would realize that in English, everything gets syllabified. The accent goes on the first syllable, but if you read Hebrew, everything is on the last syllable. So what's funny is that if you listen to pastors read these lists of names, they always make them sound like whatever your dialect is. So if, if you were from the South, you'd say, now these were the sons of Sham, Ham, Japheth. If you're from New Jersey, you'd say, now these are the sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You know what I mean? It's like everyone dialects it differently. What's funny is, is I spent a lot of time this week working on how to say them rightly for you all. It was really fun, actually. But the reality is, is that it'd be kind of superfluous really. It would just be like me showing you guys how much I've practiced my Hebrew. So I want to just focus on a couple things in this chapter. And if you really want to be blessed by the list of names, I, I want to encourage you, if you want, I can give you all information about all of these names and all this stuff. If you like that kind of stuff, I would encourage you to email me and I'm happy to send you it. To read through it would be fun for like probably five of you. You know, if I give you, this name means this, and this name means this, and these people could be this, but we don't really know, and I could do that for you. I think when last time I taught Genesis chapter 10, I did it in like two studies. And it was kind of like everyone was like, what are you doing? So if you're into that kind of stuff, you could feel free to be in touch. But really what this does is this tells the repopulation of the world based on Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's what it does. The entire repopulation. But really the focus of this genealogy is to show you that Ham truly is, truly is the patriarch of all of the Canaanites. Okay? And the Canaanites are all the ites of the rest of the Torah, the rest of the five books, the Girgashites and the Hittites and the Amorites. All the people who the children of Israel have issues with, they're all the descendants of Ham. So this is why this is here. This is going to show you that Ham is cursed and the issues that the children of Israel have are going to be with the descendants of Ham. We're going to find that, of course, for Japheth, you get a couple towns that you hear about throughout the scriptures, places like Sheba and Dedan, which you'll read about in other parts of the Bible, places like Egypt or Misraim is the Hebrew word for that. 
That's the descendants of Japheth and different things. And so you have Gog and Magog are in there, which for those of you who are prophecy buffs, you have fun with that from the end of the book of Ezekiel. But the reality is that what it really shows you is that Ham is the patriarch of all the people that the children of Israel are going to have issues with. What's interesting is in the middle of this genealogy, look what it says in verse 8. It says, Cush begot Nimrod. You guys are just laughing, huh? We use that word, don't we? Well, we used to. When you call someone a Nimrod, that's not telling them that they're your favorite person in the world or that you think they're the smartest person in the world. But listen to this. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Ekad, and Kalne, in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Er, Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala. That is the principal city. This genealogy gets broken up with a time to look at this man named Nimrod. Now, what's fascinating is it says that Nimrod became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter of the earth, and he had a kingdom. So the reality is, is that one of the descendants of Ham, this man Nimrod, became one of the first world rulers. He was a hunter. He was mighty. He had a kingdom. Now, it's interesting about his kingdom. It says, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. We're going to hear more about Babel when we look at Genesis chapter 11. The word Babel literally in the Hebrew means gateway to God. But when you think of Babel now, because of the Tower of Babel, you think about people babbling and being incomprehensible. But it's fascinating that the descendants of Ham, this man Nimrod, his kingdom was Babylon. And it's been said that the whole Bible, you can look at as a tale of two cities. Babylon and Jerusalem. You find it in the book of Genesis. And you end the book of Revelation with discussions of Babylon and Jerusalem. How cool is that? How fascinating is that? That Babylon and Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going to start coming to the fore when Abraham offers a tithe to Melchizedek, who was from that area. The prince of Salem, it says. Fascinating. Because what you have is you have these two pictures. You have Babylon, a literal place, and also a picture of the anti-God system. The way of doing things that man does when man is exalted. And then you have Jerusalem. The way life is meant to be when God is the center. God is the focus. The God way of doing things. And the reality is, is that in all of our hearts, we struggle with having a spirit of Babylon, don't we? All of us do. We struggle with the reality that says, hey, I want to do it my way. Do what you will. I mean, isn't that the mantra of 21st century America? What's interesting is that everyone who says that you should do what you will, you have to do what they think you should do. It's fascinating. I don't know how many friends on Facebook, and if you're my friend on Facebook, you probably realize that like 75% of my friends don't believe in Jesus on Facebook. I've kept all these friends, and they all say, oh, just live and let live. And I'm like, you don't really believe that. Because they say live and let live, but they're all angry about all these things that people are doing. 
And I'm like, wait, you're saying live and let live, but you don't like this, that, and the other thing? What if that's the way they want to live? Just let them live that way. And they were like, oh. you know, they get a little, because you're pushing back on a belief. Some of you in here probably believe that. Who's a pastor to tell me what to do? Let everyone do what they want to do. You don't really believe that. Because if you got a brand new car and someone said, hey, I just want to take your car, live and let live. Let them have it. Nobody does that, right? I can't believe they took my car. I mean, how dare them? Wait, live and let live. Let it go. You bought a car, they wanted your car. Let them take it. See, everybody wants it our own way. That's part of the problem of humanity. We all think we're little gods. We all think that my way is the best way. We all struggle with a God complex until we come under the authority of Jesus. And then, although we still struggle with the God complex, we realize when we start going down that road, the Holy Spirit says, um, hello, you're not God. This is all about you. What's my will? Isn't that tough when the Holy Spirit speaks to you that way? He says, hey, look, this is not about me. This is about you. I'm God. Let me lead your life. So it's interesting that Nimrod was a descendant of Ham. He finds Babylon. It's also interesting he finds Nineveh in the area of the Assyrians. One of the very first enemies after Egypt was the Assyrians and the Babylonians. You're going to find them all through the scriptures coming and subjugating the children of Israel. Now it's interesting that Nimrod, according to a pagan folklore, Nimrod married a woman named Simiramis who is affectionately called the queen of heaven, which you can read about in Jeremiah chapter 7 and 44, Simiramis claimed to be impregnated without a man. And Ishtar, which begins in the beginning of April, is the celebration of this divine pregnancy. The son's name was Tammuz. His birthday was on the winter solstice, which is in late December. And they celebrated his birthday by setting up a tree. That's where Easter and Christmas come from, brothers and sisters, right there. Now, I don't think we should not celebrate Easter and Christmas. But the reality is, is that when you do Easter eggs, they got that from Babylonian religion. That's where it came from. That's where it came from. When they made Christianity the religion of the Holy Roman Empire, or the Roman Empire, and they called it the Holy Roman Empire. Now, I'm Italian, but guess what? Anything but holy. Gotta be honest. The Roman Empire was anything but holy. That's like a joke. You know, it's be like saying the, the holy American government. And it doesn't matter who's in office. And I love my country, but we're not calling this holy what's going on. Let's be honest. Jesus is holy. Lord willing, we're working on it by the, God's grace. But the reality is, is what they did was when they made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire... They just, instead of saying, you can't do all these things you've always done, they just incorporated them all. I mean, nobody knows the day Jesus was born because the Bible doesn't tell us. So, well, hey, listen, the 25th, that's, hey, that was similar, that was the birthday of Tammuz, the winter solstice festival. Let's do that. Great. Oh, yeah. This divine pregnancy. Oh, yeah, look at that. In the springtime. Cool. Let's use eggs, a fertility thing. Spring, this is where it all comes from. And again, I don't think we should worry about celebrating these things because we're really not celebrating the winter solstice. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And 
We're not really just celebrating Easter eggs. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. But I'll be honest with you. We should celebrate these things every day. Why do we wait for one day to do nice things for our family? Why wait? Why put off for December 25th what you could do today? I mean, let's be honest. See, I've been writing it in our staff break room. There's a little board, and, you know, it's the week after we celebrate the resurrection. I put, look, he's still risen. Let's just keep rejoicing. Let's make as big deal about the resurrection of Jesus now as we did last weekend. I mean, what's the difference? He's risen. It's not like he'd stopped being risen the week after the resurrection. And we live in the reality of these things. So we have Nimrod. Of course, you have Japheth. And then look at the end of this chapter here, because it says this in verse 21. It says, And children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. That word Eber, that's where we get Hebrews from. That's where it comes from. Hebrews comes the descendants of Eber. Now you have to realize that the H sound, oftentimes it's silent in Hebrew. So here it's Eber. That's where Hebrews comes from right there. That verse right there. And then just to close here, in verse 32, it says, These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So chapter 10, what it does is simply this. It shows us the way the nations fanned out, which prepares us for first the Tower of Babel and then the coming of Abraham. So we get the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. We're going to get a couple more genealogies, which is really going to bring us from Shem all the way to Abraham. And then in chapter 12, we start to look at the life of the patriarchs. And really, it shows that the genealogies function in the Bible to focus us on certain things, to get us certain places. And as I've said before, I don't know that the genealogies are exhaustive. A lot of people, they, they make a big deal. I've read millions of articles. Some of you guys send me articles, depending on if you're a young earther. You send me articles on how the genealogies are this way. And if you're old earthers, you send me the other articles. And I thank you for those. And I've been reading these things for years. For me, genealogies, the reason they're in there is to link people to other people. Right in the beginning of the New Testament, you get a genealogy in Matthew's gospel. Why? Because Matthew wants to link Jesus as a descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham. And Matthew does it in a symbolic way. It's not exhaustive. And so the reality is, is that God uses genealogies in the Bible to connect people to people. Right here, what's going on is we're getting Noah's descendants connected. Ham connected to a group of people who we're going to be reading all through the Bible about. Shem being connected to the line that's going to come down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which sets us up for the whole of the Bible. In his teaching today, Pastor Daniel reminded us that the people who were born and lived on the earth right after the flood weren't a lot different than we are. They had the same inclinations to do life their own way that we do. We even got to hear about some of the more famous ones like Nimrod. That guy was a piece of work. But Pastor Daniel reminded us that apart from the grace of God, there's a Nimrod in all of us wanting to get out and be in charge. Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person 
We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel begins a new teaching called the Tower of Babel. You'll hear about this famous structure and what led up to its construction or the attempt they made to build it. Pastor Daniel will talk about the people's disobedience to God's commands and how that resulted in all of the languages and people groups we have today. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.